Blog Talk Radio. And like I was saying, currently, uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency is my favorite show, but I also really uh, enjoyed Counterpart. So you should check. Oh, hello, Nats Sound. Welcome to Nats Nightly Weekly, sponsored by FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball, along with Federal Baseball's Doghouse. Uh, let's get into it. I was about to say what a week as if I was on some political podcast and I'd get a ding afterwards. But anyway, <laughs> Bryce Harper, 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 as I have this section titled, uh, sat out last night against a tough lefty in the finale with the San Diego Padres. It's the first game he's missed this year. So, well, not missed, but sat out. So he could probably use a break, uh, especially considering he's in the midst of an 0 for 20 stretch at the plate. Has him down to 230, 410, 541, two doubles, 12 home runs, and 166 PAs this year. Uh, he had a little surge when he moved to the leadoff spot, but he's been struggling at the plate. You think all the walks in April got him out of his rhythm? Are we worried? Is this more Joe Madden genius carryover from three years ago? Everyone knows how to get Harper off his game now. Uh, what are you seeing from the big slugger so far this season? Well, I still see him with uh, 50% more walks than strikeouts, which is, you know, an absolutely <laughs> Rendon-esque level of plate discipline and performance. You know, granted, a lot of that is intentional and unintentional intentional walks, but, uh, you know, maybe there's something to it, and Harper is actually kind of getting into his own head here. And whatever mental aspect there is to hitting uh, in terms of um, chasing or sort of getting out of your preferred mechanics, yeah, maybe this is a, a legit issue for him. Of course, he tends to recover after a little bit of time and and get back into some kind of hitting groove. I mean, just just like you said, when he shifted to the leadoff spot he was immediately a little bit more productive. Um, of course, that, that seems to have gone away a little bit. I, I'm thinking he's just tanking to get us the hometown discount, you know, when he signs with Washington. That's super nice. <laughs> uh, you obviously wants to have a big year. I, I kind of wonder if there's some of that involved in it too, pressing a little bit, knowing you're going to be a free agent coming up. Uh, there's also been some of the Bryce Harper haters uh, on the internet talking about how he's taking it easy and defensively so as not to get himself injured. I, I don't buy that for a second, honestly, but uh, what do you, what do you make of his defensive stats so far this year uh, with all warnings and necessary caveats about small sample sizes, especially with defensive metrics, uh, one month plus of stats is really hard to make any judgments, but he is currently ranked last in uh, UZR 150 among qualified NL outfielders. His negative six run defensive run saved so far are also last among the outfielders uh, and, and right fielders, I should say, not all outfielders. But anecdotally, uh, I do remember during that Brave series and Ozzy Albies uh, single to right field that he kind of lollygagged a little bit. Albies took advantage of it and took second base on him, which I don't remember seeing too much uh, happen to Bryce Harper early in his career, defensively at least. Uh, do you make anything of what he's doing out there? Uh, is he just a catcher-turned-outfielder who's got a big arm out there but was never necessarily a great outfielder? Uh, what have you seen from him out there in right field? Are you worried about those numbers at all after a month-plus? Uh, it, it's it's really sort of a mixed bag. I mean, the numbers don't lie, uh, although they can be deceitful in, in small measures. But, you know, we're, we're, we're getting on to uh, a good number of chances here. Um, UZR is is something that takes three three years of data to stabilize, so don't don't think too much about that. But 
like you said, uh, I, I remember that play on Albie's single turn double, which was the sort of thing that Harper used to do from the other side of the plate, you know, the first couple of seasons he was up. Uh, and if I look now at, say, you know, the inside edge fielding data, um, his numbers are off a little bit so far this year. I don't know if he's a funk. I don't know if he's, he's laying it up a little bit. I have seen him go hard on a few plays where I actually thought to myself, what are you doing, Hart? Don't injure yourself. But, you know, that's one or two sticking out in my head uh, in a whole season. And I, I, I think, again, that's selection bias because I want to believe he's still going all out hard. Whether there's something to this or not, I don't know. Uh, the numbers are concerning. But, uh, you know, I, I hear that Juan Soto is pretty good. He plays good outfield, doesn't he? I should probably mention uh, Juan Soto. Let me just pull up his numbers because I was just looking at them previous uh, a little while ago. But uh, he got promoted from uh, Class A Potomac to High uh, Class A ha- ha- uh, Hagerstown, I should say, to High A Potomac. Uh, today he apparently got promoted up to Double A Harrisburg too. He's just 19 years old, but he's kind of tearing the cover off the ball in the minor leagues. There, it takes me this long, and I'm improvising until I can get his stats up. But uh, 373, 480, 486, 814, uh, five uh, doubles, five home runs, and 16 games and 74 plate appearances at Hagerstown. Then he moved up to Potomac, as I mentioned, uh, 371, 466, 790, three doubles and seven home runs and three plate appearances there. I think we can officially call that mastering the level, even if it was only uh, 31 games between the two stops there. But you see him jump up to double A as quickly as he did uh, as a second-ranked outfielder in this organization going into the season. Uh, you've seen Bryce Harper when he was 19, obviously a much more hyped and well-known prospect. Uh, Victor Robles, 19-20, came up last year. So it's, it's not out of the realm of what the Nationals have done recently. Uh, we're going to get to Michael A. Taylor in a second here, but with all the injuries they've dealt with, Rizzo said recently that Robles would probably be up here if uh, he wasn't injured, hadn't hyperextended his elbow earlier this season. He's still going to be out for weeks, if not months. So uh, would you be surprised to see them bump this kid all the way up uh, three, four levels up to the majors in one year? It's kind of a, a rush job for him, but they could use some help in the outfield. I, I can see it happening. Um, there have been so many injuries to the reserves None of the reserves are really guys with a lot of bat. You know, Stevenson, defense first. Um, Bautista, ah, uh, Taylor's had his struggles, which I guess we're going to talk about. You know, Goody's been hurt. Uh, if he continues to produce and as he gets moved up, you know, I, I can see him making the jump from double A to the majors if, uh, if roster concerns warrant it. You know, they're just keeping him down now for Super 2 reasons. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It was writing about Michael A. Taylor today and kind of dismissed the idea uh, of him jumping all the way from a ball to the majors in, in one season, basically. But as I was writing that, of course, I had to throw on an addendum to one of the paragraphs because he got promoted to double A and as I was writing it. So uh makes you think it's more of a possibility, I'd say, than I did even an hour ago. But we'll see what they do with him. That It would be a big jump, especially for a young kid. And there's still some development there from what I've read. Uh, Byron Kerr had a great article today talking with uh, one of the Nationals player development guys, Mark Shalaba, and they did note that he's played some center field. So uh, maybe we should ignore all of that possibility. But <laughs> staying, staying with the current uh, center fielder and sticking with our negative team so far because, you know, ratings, actually no one keeps track of our ratings at all. 
Michael A. Taylor, uh, 0 for 19 going into last night's game, 1 for 4 in the finale. Finally stopped his 0 for, I think he was up to 0 for 20 or 21 by that point. Uh, hard hit single, got past the shortstop, playable ball, but he gets the hit anyway. Uh, he's got a 186, 261, 310 line on the season, a 30.8 K percentage, third highest among NL outfielders behind only Ioannis Espedes and Lewis Brinson, as I put my notes here, but keep trying, Michael. Uh, last was last season an anomaly. Uh, he, he had kind of a breakout season last season. Is that an anomaly or is this just who he is now? A uh, solid defender who strikes out in a third of his at-bats and runs into some home runs. I think that's that's a, a pretty reasonable profile to expect going forward. Uh, it's a it's a little funny. Just as I was uh, scanning the headlines on on Fangraphs this morning, Michael Taylor popped out on their list of most changed hitters in terms of sort of their underlying stats of swing rate and exit velocity and launch angle. So I went and did a deep dive on his batted ball profile, and weirdly, it turns out that he's his discipline numbers have just taking this strange turn this year he's swinging more he's making more contact but the added contact is all on pitches that are outside of the zone and what it's doing to his distribution of batted balls is that he's way up in terms of soft contact and way down on hard contact and hitting more grounders so i think he's just got some I mean, maybe it's fluky because, you know, this is, this is again, based on a month's worth of data. But uh, it looks an awful lot to me like he's going after bad pitches and making bad contact on them. Now, it's, it's interesting also to note that his pull percentage is way down. So he's hitting to all three fields to a rate that he hasn't done since his first season. And his batting stats are also as bad as they've been since his first season. So I, I think, you know, Michael Taylor is a guy who has to be a little bit more selective in his approach, and maybe he just has to pull the ball more to uh, to be more successful. Because um, it looks like the approach that he's doing this season, whether it's a question of approach and not just, you know, he's in some mechanical weirdness or something, is, is not working out for him. Is interesting. Uh, Kevin Long, a new hitting coach there, uh, he worked some wonders with a bunch of the lefties, uh, some of the right-handers. I don't know so far this season. Michael A. Taylor taking a step back. Ryan Zimmerman struggling. I'm not putting any all or anything really on the hitting coach, but uh, I, I like what I saw from Taylor last year. It's kind of what Mike Rizzo said. It, it's kind of what they've been waiting for all along, and he finally kind of lived up to what they had said he could be, a five-tool player. And defensively I don't have any complaints about him this year I think his defense will probably keep him around longer than you normally would with someone who's putting up the offensive numbers that you've seen from him but uh, I haven't seen anything I don't like defensively uh, he's still kind of getting to all the balls you expect him to get to he has that big arm out there even though he tends and can, can overthrow sometimes trying to get uh, make you know bad decisions throwing wise but anything defensively you've seen from him that has you concerned or is it strictly at the plate at this point no, it's, it's at the plate. I mean, Taylor is a solid defender. And again, if you want to get back onto uh, whining about UZR, you know, currently it has him as, as negative based purely on his arm, which I guess is from the overthrows or something. So you know, take the, the advanced stats with a grain of salt, bounce them off of uh, what you get from your own lying eyes. And uh, mine tell me that Taylor's the guy who gets good reads and good jumps on balls. 
and uh, makes a lot of good plays. So defensively, I think we got to be satisfied with everything that we're getting out of Michael A. Taylor. Just, man, do something with your approach at the plate because it's not, not helping him right now. I'm just going to wait a minute here and be very self-satisfied that the numbers you're looking at uh, kind of backed up what I was saying about his arm. But moving on, we're going to go for a positive note here. Hellboy, Jeremy Hellickson, six perfect innings the other night against the Padres uh, for giving up a hit finally in the seventh inning. Uh, it was really an impressive start. I like to see the veteran, though he's only 31 years old, uh, getting it done. He was impressive and just fun to watch, basically. A 185 average on his change, 222 on his curve so far this season, the two pitches he's thrown most, and 083 average on his four-seamer. Uh, pretty solid for a fifth starter. The Nationals got on a minor league deal late this spring. Uh, he's really just continued to impress. Uh, you just can't say enough about what he did the other night. The Padres aren't exactly an offensive powerhouse, but he kind of went out there and just ran the table on them. And 18 in a row set down to start a game is impressive, no matter who you're doing it against. All right. I, I know they're an MLB team, but let me just come right in here and say, relax, everyone. It's the Padres. Um <laughs> That's, that said, though, you know, Hellickson has been more than serviceable. We talked a couple in the, the first few episodes this season about how production out of the fifth spot is going to be important for the Nationals because it's not a cakewalk in the division this year. They're going to have to do well in the regular season if they want to do uh, anything after the regular season. And that means your number five starters got to put up some wins here. Uh, team wins, that is, not, uh, not pitcher wins because pitcher wins are dumb. Hellickson's getting it done. He even gave us duration here. He went, what, six and two-thirds in his last start, you know, taking, uh, taking some pressure off the bullpen. That is, that is delightful. That is everything you want to get out of the bottom of the rotation. Uh, right now, if you're, if you're looking at, at win values, Hellickson is only a touch behind Strasburg in terms of what he's done for the team before in somewhat fewer starts. Um, I'm not convinced this is all sustainable. You know, his, uh, his home runs allowed are a little lower than they, they probably deserve to be. He's, he's stranded a few more runners than, uh, than he probably deserves, although I, I could apply that even more to Geo if, uh, if we're nitpicky about sustainability. But uh, Hel- Hellickson, I think, definitely is, a, is right now is a Rizzo points-to-head uh, transaction. And zero six point zero point six five home runs for nine. That's down from a one point two eight career uh, home runs for nine. So about half of what he usually gives up. Down from one point nine two last season. So what a two twenty eight ERA, three oh FIP, one point three oh walks per nine so far, which is what I really like. Not giving away bases and not putting people on. I will also note since he went and brought up wins. Uh, David Martinez's <laughs> quote from, from the post game last night just got me after we were praising him for this uh, last week. Uh, he talked about Gio getting out of trouble when he needed to make pitches. He made them, so I wanted to give him a chance to get out of it. I wanted to give him a chance to get a win. Uh, we went and praised you, Davey, and now we regret it. <sighs> I, I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming that was just player management, and he was saying that to make Gio feel good, and that secretly he's still he'll hewing to the, the policy of team wins first. Well, let's hope so. But speaking of two wins, team wins, I should say, two out of three from the Padres before they dropped the finale last night, which is disappointing. But as Davey Martinez said, hey, we won two games, two out of three to top to start the road trip, so I'll take it. Uh, four with the D-backs coming up. They've won eight of their last ten. 
Bryce Harper should be back in there tonight. It doesn't get much easier with Zach Greinke on the mound. Uh, just like what I've seen from the Nationals overall, just your general feel from the last couple of weeks. Uh, they really made a jump in the standings. They were, you know, falling behind there. Two and a half out now, 20 and 18 on the season after winning eight of the last 10. Uh, you like the trending, I suppose, going forward here. Uh, the Braves 21 and 14, the Phillies 21 and 15 are the only ones ahead of them in the division right now. Yeah, well, you know, water finds its level. Uh, teams generally don't underperform forever or overperform forever. You know, things will even out over the course of the season. Uh, as as we always say, the wins that are in the books now stay in the books. So the, the Nationals are going to have to overcome a good bit to uh, to win the division, to get into contention for postseason play. But right now they're getting a lot of good contributions from people who weren't supposed to have regular playing times. We've talked about, about Matt Adams, about Wilmer Defoe, their emergences this year as offensive forces. And good, good heavens, Matt Adams has actually been making some decent plays out in left field, you know, after I was teasing him about being Willingham-esque in terms of his defensive <laughs> prowess. So it's, it's that sort of support for the roster that you get from unlikely sources when you have trouble with the regular starters. And, and certainly the, the Nationals have had some serious injuries to the people who have been expected to make big contributions this season. That's, uh, that's what a team needs to have good success over a season. So finger, fingers crossed they can keep it up. As Gio Gonzalez said of Matt Adams' defense out there in left field and that home run robbery in particular during the last homestand, it's a big city doing big city things. And it just happens <laughs> to be a T-shirt. There happens to be a T-shirt from the Breaking Tea folks on our front page right now. So everyone run out and buy one. Uh, Tanner Roark versus Zach Greinke tonight. 3-2, and 4-10 ERA, 47 Ks for uh, Greinke so far. 2-3, and 3-6-5 ERA, 41 Ks for Roark. Uh, last thing I want to touch on very quickly because I know you got to go. And uh, the report yesterday, Adam Eaton went to have a second opinion on his ankle, which is apparently still hurting him and not getting any better. They had him in a boot a couple weeks ago, according to reports from Nationals Park. It uh, doesn't seem like that ankle is getting any better. Uh, I hate to be all doom and gloomy here, but after the serious injury to his ankle and his knee last season, it didn't look all that bad when he hurt himself early in this season. Uh, that play at home plate is remembered during the first homestand, but we're now a, a month plus out of that, and he's still not back on the field and doesn't seem to be doing baseball activities either because he just can't run on that ankle. So uh, that's a big concern because he was a big part of the Nationals' plans last season that didn't work out. And, again, this season that hasn't worked out so far. Doom. 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 Uh, as we discussed, there aren't too many other options right now. So they're playing with what they have, and they're managing to win some games with some good pitching. Hope that continues tonight. Tanner Roark, Zach Greinke, another 940 start uh, laid out there on the sort of West Coast in Arizona. Nats Nightly Weekly is sponsored by FederalBaseball.com. Doghouse, good to talk to you again, and hopefully get another win tonight. Fingers crossed for that. Go Nats. <laughs>